0: Chair Janet Yellen says interest rates could go up in about six months after the Fed tapering ends. Equity markets sell off on the comments, but do creep up from the lows of the day and bond yields spike higher. Bond yields, of course, are market interest rates and the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury jumped 10 basis points. On the news front, Ukraine pulls its military out of Crimea after the Russian annexation and Malaysia turns to the FBI for help on the missing 7 7 77 plane. Well, markets tumbled when Ms. Yellen tried to explain what considerable period meant in the guidance in terms of when interest rates might rise after tapering ended.
1: Probably means uh, something on the order of around six months or that type of thing
0: and uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 200 points after she uttered that around six months language which was new and she gulped a few times in her explanation leaving some investors thinking well the Fed they're kind of making it up as they go along
1: the language that um, we use in this statement is considerable period um, so I, I- I, you know, this is the kind of term it's hard to define, but, um, you know, probably means uh, something on the order of around six months or th- that type of thing. But, um, you know, it depends what, th- what the statement is saying is it depends what conditions are like.
0: So, we'll be talking quite a little bit about the Fed. Uh, if you don't like Janet Yellen, as he was saying earlier, you're probably not going to like this program this morning. We'll also take a look at China's booming e commerce sector in the wake of 10 cents earnings and in the wake of Alibaba's decision to bypass Hong Kong in favor of listing in New York. And uh, Barron's Hong Kong based columnist and writer Shuli Ren will join us for that. We'll also look further at China's urbanization efforts with Helmut Schut, who's the China Europe International. Business School Vice President and the Dean there, and Richard Harris from Port Shelter Investment Management will join us for a look at markets. So all that coming up in just a few minutes. It's now five minutes after eight o'clock. Let's get to a little bit more now on the Fed meeting. The Fed changed the threshold of its so-called forward guidance, in particular, dropping the six and a half percent unemployment rate as a time that might prompt action on rates. Bloomberg's Peter Cook reports.
2: There is another $10 billion reduction in the bond buying by the Federal Reserve. We have new forward guidance language in here, the 6.5 percent unemployment threshold has been replaced with, again, a more qualitative approach. The economy, the Fed, says slowed in the winter months, in part due, of course, to the inclement weather. Let me get to the forward guidance changes here with regard to interest rates in the future. That is arguably the most important uh, message in here. Let me read directly from the statement. To support continued progress toward maximum employment and price stability, the committee today reaffirmed its view that a highly accommodative stance of monetary policy remains appropriate in determining how long to maintain the current zero to quarter percent target range for the federal funds rate, the committee will assess progress, both realized and expected towards its objectives of maximum employment and 2% inflation. This assessment will take into account a wide range of information, including measures of labor market conditions, indicators of inflation pressures and inflation expectations, and readings on financial developments.
0: A bit breathless, I know, but don't worry. We'll have the calm and articulate Richard Harris coming up from Port Shelter Investment Management in a few minutes to explain the Fed's actions. The 10-year note yield rose 10 basis points to 2.77% after the news conference by Ms. Yellen. The S&P 500 was down 0.6% to 1860. The Dow was down 114 points at 16,222. May not sound like a lot, but as I mentioned earlier, it was off more than 200 for a time after those comments. And the Nasdaq was down 25 at 4307. More conservative commentators said that there wasn't really all that much new in the Fed's position. And these kind of people cited comments like this.
1: This change in our guidance does not indicate any change in the committee's policy intentions as set forth in its recent statements.
0: So for some of the key points, here's a little montage of Janet Yellen's comments.
1: The change is meant to clarify how the committee anticipates policy evolving after the unemployment rate declines below 6.5%. The committee's actions today reflect its assessment that progress in the labor market is continuing, but that much remains to be done on both the jobs and inflation fronts. These conditions warrant the continuation of highly accommodative policy reflected in today's policy statement. In short, the larger the shortfall of employment or inflation from the respective objectives set by the FOMC and the longer any such shortfall is expected to persist the longer the target federal funds rate is likely to remain in the present zero to one-quarter percent range.
0: Gold fell $13.20 to $1,328 an ounce. Oil prices are now $105.85 a barrel. Asian markets are mostly lower, although the Nikkei is a little higher. In Australia, the ASX 200 down 23 points at 53.49, And in Seoul, the Kospi is down three points. But the Nikkei has put on gains of 69 points. We're joined now by Richard Harris, Chief Executive Officer at Port Shelter Investment Management. Richard, good morning. Good morning to you, Brian. First, your impression of the Fed meeting.
3: Well, I like Janet already. I think um, it's rather refreshing having a Fed chairman coming out and saying, um, uh, probably, um, which takes us a long way from Alan Greenspan, of course, where every word could be measured uh, with a weighing scale, um, <laughs> because that's how markets work. You know, They are rather approximate, but I think what the Fed has really done is they've come out and they've said that they're confident about the economy, uh, they know it's not moving as fast as uh, it should be. They have forward guidance that fits those conditions. So I think all in all, it should actually be a pretty positive meeting for the markets.
0: So you don't buy into that thinking that the Fed is just sort of making it up as it goes along? Well, I
3: think like the rest of us, they probably do a bit of that as well. But I think what they have done is they have got a view about the markets and where it's going. They have got a view about where monetary policy is. And it was interesting to see that Uh, Yellen said several times that this is a very loose, very accommodative monetary policy at the moment, uh, and she's sticking to it. So I think they're pretty pretty sure in what they were saying.
0: She seemed to score some points, too, uh, towards the end when she was talking about uh, the pain suffered by people who are unemployed. She said probably nobody in this room, you know, doesn't have uh, someone in your circle of friends that is out of a job and has been trying for a long time to find one. And uh, so that sort of feeling about the... Qualitative side of the employment picture rather than the quantitative side was part of the language that, you know, they dropped the forward guidance they dropped. Is that significant in your view? Uh,
3: I I think it is. I think one of the key things with the economies at the moment is unemployment is stickily high. Um, underemployment is even worse. Uh, I mean the number of people I associate with who could be doing a lot more than they are um, is extraordinary and a lot of people have left the workplace because they can't really find jobs. They've taken early retirement. That's a big problem in terms of growth and the quicker that we can get wages up, the quicker that we can get people back to work, uh, the quicker will the economy start moving.
0: You remember last year, though, when Ben Bernanke uh, started talking about the possibility of uh, tapering uh, in September, markets in particularly around the rest of the world really sold off. You know, late May last year was a telling time. And if you look at safe investments here in Hong Kong, like power assets and link REIT and, you know, utilities and REITs, they've dropped like 25 percent uh, from that time. So it didn't turn out to be too safe if you were, um, you know, excited about your 4 percent yield. So. What happened today could be very important out here in, in our part of the world. Are you concerned that Hong Kong and China may tumble a bit now?
3: Well, I think the whole issue with China is beginning to be more and more of a domestic problem. Um, Normally, you'd expect that when the west of the world starts to recover, then China, because it's really an export-led economy, would start to recover. But we're seeing a series of uh, pieces of information, uh, all negative, whether it's inflationary figures, whether it's property prices, whether it's growth. Um, And that is an issue that China is going to have to sort out domestically. That's a special case for us and Hong Kong. The whole tapering issue, I think that that probably worked its way through the system in terms of emerging markets last year. Um, so I don't expect more tapering to cause much more weakness in emerging markets. I think where emerging markets now are going to be hit is low commodity prices, and especially in this part of the world and with us, with China
0: so you 're a pretty reasonable uh, guy, and your your you. your uh, stance is is moderate you you don 't buy into the idea that the Fed has actually done a lot of damage by blowing up bubbles around the rest of the world, which we now may see deflate
3: well, i think you 're right. I think the Fed has blown up a bubble, but the bubble is still pretty global you know we 've got uh, stock markets at all time high, fifty highs or so in the last year, um, uh, at a time when the economies really are are coming out of uh, a, a rather low period so the Fed globally uh, created this move and we're going to have to work that through uh, over the next few years there was collateral damage in the emerging markets um, but the slowdown of the economies also hit commodity prices badly and China's slowdown doubles that effect because China was the big buyer back in the early 00's
0: on Chinese property, um, it, you probably have the view then that um, while it may be highly priced, it's not a, a bubble that's going to burst. It's not going to bring the house down. I think the issue with property is probably
3: related much broader to the issue of debt in China itself. Uh, we know the shadow lending uh, has been uh, extraordinarily high in Hong Kong. Uh, sorry, in China, we know that uh, debt creation <laughs> has been high in uh, China. I won't say about Hong Kong. Um, and debt, I think, is Perhaps the one key issue that uh, China has a concern with. Um, if there are wobbles uh, in, in credit and banks start calling in loans or big uh, non-performing loans, that's going to impact the property market. I
0: The Shanghai Composite Index down for seven years like this must be telling us something. There must be real trouble there.
3: Well, I think you've also got to uh, put into effect that the markets rose extraordinarily before that. I okay. mean, If you remember the big rises in the early 90s. Um, you, you had big, big gains there and I followed a lot of uh, frontier stroke emerging markets uh, over the years and very often you get an extraordinary rise uh, that may see the market go up uh, eight, nine, ten times uh, followed by an extended uh, fall as prices start to be valued on more um, uh, appropriate terms as stocks become valued uh, better. Um, It's unusual to have such a bear market as this, but I think it's probably a a case of circumstances in the fact that China has slowed in this period um, at the time when the stock market fundamentals uh, aren't particularly good.
0: So what's your best investment idea at the moment?
3: Well, it's getting pretty tough at the moment, but I still hold out to equities and actually I still hold on to – Developed market equities, because I think uh, what the Fed's been saying uh, I, I fit in with, and I think it's sure and firm guidance that they're confident the U.S. economy is starting to recover. Uh, the U.K. had their budget yesterday, and uh, George Osborne, who's always smug in Parliament, was even more smug because the economy seems to be doing quite well there. And if you look at most of the macro information coming out of Europe, most of that's ticking upwards now. So I think developed
0: markets are looking good. And it's they who will pull the emerging markets up. Okay, we've got two other well informed guests waiting in the wings. uh, So stay with us, Richard, and I'll do a little bit of news here and then we'll bring in our other guests. Uh, Wanted to tell you about uh, what's happening in Ukraine. The government there said it would pull its troops from Crimea. Russian troops and Crimean allies are seizing military bases and officers. Armed men, assumed to be Russian military, seized Ukraine's naval headquarters in the city of Sevastopol. And they took away a Ukrainian admiral. Also, uh, we see that Toyota is agreeing now to pay a $1.2 billion penalty to end a criminal probe in the United States into sudden unintended acceleration in vehicles. It caused the recall of more than 10 million vehicles. The attorney general of the U.S., Eric Holder, said Toyota would fully admit wrongdoing, pay the penalty, and submit to rigorous reviews by an independent monitor. And Tencent... A stock listed here in Hong Kong plans to split its shares to make the shares more accessible to retail investors. The big internet company had its earnings yesterday. It missed on estimates Uh, because of higher costs for the WeChat app. Investors will get five shares for each one they already own. On the earnings, Tencent posted fourth quarter net income of 3.91 billion yuan. That was short of estimates of 4.1 billion. The stock, though, has been the best performer on the Hang Seng Index since its listing in 2004 listen to this it went public at three dollars seventy cents in 2004 it's now five hundred sixty seven dollars and fifty cents and that's down from about six forty uh just a few days ago and we're joined by Shuli now uh hong kong-based columnist for barons good morning shu
4: Good morning, Brian.
0: Yeah, so we will talk a little bit about Alibaba as well and the listing uh, in New York or the projected uh, uh, listing in New York instead of here. But first, just a couple of words on Tencent. The share split is getting some news. And also Pony Ma, the chairman, his acceptance of what the authorities are doing on regulations, getting some news. But the earnings, that's the key thing.
4: Um, right. Um, so the earnings are four uh, percent below the street estimates. But I would like to point out that the the revenue, the top line growth was actually above the street estimates. And uh, um, Tencent's earnings was a little bit weak because uh, because of the e-commerce. <laughs> the e-commerce is very low margin business compared to Tencent's uh, core business, basically mobile gaming. Oh, uh, sorry, gaming. Um, yeah, so revenue
0: revenue is up. The stock is up one hundred and twenty percent in the last year. Does that justify that whatever it was? 20% increase in revenue?
4: Well, um, Chinese internet companies have... Uh, um uh, have uh, uh, become uh, investors' favorites. Uh, sure, Tencent is up uh, 120% uh, last year, but uh, in U.S., for example, VIP Shop, so some of the smaller names, VIP Shop, uh, which is a uh, uh, flash sale discounter uh, e-commerce, it was up over 400%. YY, which is kind of like uh, Google Handout, is also up, uh, uh, over 400%. So, so, uh, so
0: you mentioned e-commerce and also the e-banking is a, is a big potential gold mine, I suppose. And while the regulator have slowed that down. It's still out there on the rainbow, isn't it?
4: Right. A- absolutely. Uh, absolutely, uh, Brian. So, um, what Tencent is doing is uh, they just bought a fifteen state, uh, percent stake in Jingdong. and and they're going to offload their e commerce business to Jingdong.
0: Yeah, and, JD.com uh, J- 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 sorry,
4: JD. dot Sorry, JD. That's a new name now. JD. dot And uh, um, uh, and. That that will bring up uh, um, Tencent's uh, uh, profit margin. But on the other hand, Tencent can collect 0.6% transaction fee. And just think about that kind of money that's going there. So, yeah, like uh, uh, e-commerce is, and e- e-banking is still very popular.
0: And WeChat with some 355 million uh, monthly users—that—that um, that is a real um, customer base that can be tapped into. And some people say that WeChat is more valuable than WhatsApp, which was sold uh, to, uh, which Facebook bought for 19 billion.
4: Absolutely. Uh, way more valuable, like uh, more than double the numbers that I've seen. So uh, WeChat is uh, way further than WhatsApp on, uh, in terms of monetization. You know, you can buy little stickers, uh, you can do e-commerce, whereas WhatsApp so far is just charging users uh, $1 per year, right?
0: So Tencent is a great success story for Hong Kong. Alibaba looks like not so much. Um, is it a blow to Hong Kong that Alibaba lists in New York, or is it a blow to New York? that you know, it has relaxed standards compared to Hong Kong?
4: Well, um, U- U.S. Uh, is uh, more accustomed to this uh, dual-class uh, share structure. I mean, like Google, Facebook, uh, Twitter, they all have this uh, dual-class si- system, right? Like, uh, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg, he still has control over Facebook.
0: Do you think that you know, it's an oversimplification, but maybe a pertinent point to say if you want a Silicon Valley, And all that it can bring to your country, then you need to have this kind of uh, relaxed structure in the market.
4: Well, I am of that opinion, yes. Mm
0: -hmm. And, and so Alibaba will list in New York and they will be, um, they will be forced to adhere to a lot of, of strict rules. It's, you know, there's, on the one hand, it's softer than Hong Kong, but on the other hand, in terms of accounting, in terms of reporting, in terms of other regulation, it's very strict.
4: Wh- which is good for China's uh, internet companies in my view.
0: So um what's what what's the main takeaway from Alibaba listing in New York to you?
4: Well, I I'm just amazed how uh how uh, U.S. investors just love Chinese Internet companies. I mean, like when Barron's, when, when we were talking about Alibaba, maybe uh, valued at $100 billion, I think it was only four or five months ago and people were shocked. And now the average valuation for Alibaba is $115 billion. So uh, people just love it.
0: And so you think Alibaba will do better on a trading basis in New York than perhaps in Hong Kong?
4: Um well, um, uh, keeping
0: equi- in mind that Kingsoft, which is not so well known, Kingsoft is up three hundred and fifty percent in the last year. It had its earnings yesterday up fifty percent. That's nice. The stock's up three hundred and fifty percent in the last twelve months.
4: Uh, uh, you're right. It's listed
0: uh, here in Hong Kong. Uh,
4: yes. And uh, say, same thing U- in U.S., right? Like uh, I mean, like China doesn't have uh, very interesting sectors except for the uh, uh, consumer technology, the Internet sector. So that's why uh, investors just love it.
0: All this talk of money is just making me dizzy. <laughs> Good morning now to Helmut Schut, who's vice president and the dean of the China-Europe International Business School, Siebs. And he joins us in our studios. Uh, Good morning. Hi, good morning, Brian. Yes, uh, the urbanization plans, very big business in China. And we saw another um, plank on that front with China announcing this week that it would, or on Sunday, that it would spend a trillion yuan in cleaning up the shanty towns. Uh, Mm -hmm. How important is that?
5: It's very important, but it's an ongoing process. This is not something which is starting now. It has started already several years back, and it will continue for many years. It's a major project.
0: And so what are the other aspects of urbanization uh, that you think are the most telling at the moment? And
5: obviously there's the economic aspect, but there's also the social aspect. Mm. As you all know, uh, many of the migrants which have moved into the cities are living there practically illegally. And they don't have a hukou, which means a permit to live there. So this has to be sorted out and will be sorted out more and more.
0: And and what does that mean for the economy? Does it actually free up people, this urbanization process, to spend more, to feel more comfortable about spending the income they have?
5: Yeah, first of all, when people live together in a closer uh, distance, uh, what we may call uh, transaction costs are going down, so there's more efficiency in the whole system, and that will sort of uh, propel growth in the urban cities. Uh, Secondly, one shouldn't forget that the plans are now also reaching out into the uh, rural areas where something is happening as well Uh, that's uh, very much needed to have a balanced approach
0: to economic growth what do you think are the greatest opportunities for both investors and perhaps for others like architects and other people who whose line of work might be involved in planning Yeah, obviously this is
5: real estate. uh, But in the broader sense, you have residential, you have commercial. And then uh, most probably most importantly, further investment, heavy investment in infrastructure. And whether this is roads or new airports or what have you.
0: So does that mean that cement and steel makers, while there's overcapacity there, and for instance, their stocks have been sold down quite a bit, does it mean that this gives new life to that group?
5: Yes. Um, But that will be linked with some consolidation in the
0: market. So who do you think benefits the most over the next um, several years as this urbanization plays out?
5: Yes, city planners. I think it's more in the soft arena that more intelligence will need it instead of more capacity in what you just mentioned, cement and uh, steel.
0: Among among the reforms that you've seen, along with this process of urbanization, relaxing the one-child policy, financial uh, reform, uh, which which do you think uh, will you know will history say were the most important in helping transform China's economy from investment and export-led to uh, domestic consumption?
5: I think what we will do, uh, looking back from the from the future is to see this as qualitative growth, which brings more satisfaction Mm. and fairness
0: into the life of people. And and the anti-pollution measures, uh, does that uh, produce benefits in the short term or is that very long term? Unfortunately,
5: very long term. It's quite amazing. We all look at the Chinese government as a very powerful government. But in view of the pollution, it seems to be pretty, pretty helpless.
0: Since this is a money program and investors are a big chunk of the listeners, uh, a lot of what they're doing is long term. What do you see as having an impact the most in the short term?
5: Anything which you may call green technology or green industries will sell well in China. It's quite amazing how much the overall population is now hooked on this issue. They're just not accepting anymore to earn more money, but not to be able to breathe uh, clean air or to drink clean water.
0: And Richard Harris is still with us. Richard, is there anything on your radar in the, mm. uh, in the green area that, uh, that you like?
3: Well, I, I think they're really going to have to uh, clean up the air in terms of particulates because that's the issue of pollution. So it has to be things like uh, smoke scrubbers on chimneys. Um, but what interests me is, um, is this whole idea of why the Chinese leadership seems to be unable to clear up pollution because um, my experience is that if the people tend to have a view. This does start the ball rolling lower down, which tends to force the leadership to take action. Um, So, Helmut, my question to you is, is how come we've got this push from underneath, we've got this desire from above, Uh, and yet there's nothing happening in the middle. It's
5: the complexity. I mean, there's still a big debate why there is pollution. And it's not only the pollution, it's the poisoning of the uh, soil, it's the water quality, and it all hangs together. So you close down on this and that, and then you have a problem in another area. So it's, uh, I mean, there's enough of brain flowing into this area, but there's no obvious solution.
0: Well, surely development uh, and their needs to keep people employed are a big part of this Um, if they if they could uh, look past that and just clean up at the risk of um, you know people being thrown out of work and a lot of these plants that are inefficient uh, they they could do it but they don't want to do it because they don't want people out on the street um you know the pitchfork gang absolutely and and so you know it's a very slow process (laughs) Mm. what does it take five years ten years longer 20 wow Okay. Um, it, let me go back to Shuli Ren uh, for a final comment here about uh, her space, because uh, she looks at uh, a lot of the technology space. Uh, and that is an exciting area. The new economy in China is very exciting, and it doesn't pollute as much. What's the most exciting from, from your standpoint?
4: Um, I think the technology is uh, revolutionary. I mean, like, uh, compared to... Um, Uh, US, China's uh, offline retail space is highly fragmented. So there are actually no viable competitors to big e-commerce like JD.com or Alibaba.com. Like in US, you have TJ Maxx, uh, you know, all all these different brands, right? So that is, that means uh, that those big e-commerce, they can scale up way more proportionally. Uh, in terms of a percentage of uh, retail, total retail, that uh, they can capture than the U.S. competitors. Okay,
0: give our listeners uh, an idea about some names to to take a look at, at least. I know that you're a journalist, so you're not telling people buy. (laughs) Maybe they're not even listed, but can you give us some names of some exciting companies? You mentioned JD.com, Tencent, I mentioned Kingsoft earlier, Alibaba. What do you like?
4: Well, I do like a VIP shop. Uh uh that that that's a, a pretty interesting company because uh they do flash sales and they cater to the Second and third tier uh, consumers. Yeah,
0: listed in New York. Uh, uh,
4: Listed in New York. Okay,
0: thank you very much, uh, Shuli. Always a pleasure to have you on the program. And also Helmut Schut, the vice president and dean of the China Europe International Business School. Richard Harris, chief executive of Port Shelter Investment Management. Shuli Ren, Hong Kong based columnist for (laughs) Barrons. More stimulating business talk, and we also get a lot of numbers. The Nikkei up twenty four points uh, at 14,487. In Australia, the index is down. In Seoul, the Kospi is down as well. Dollar yen one hundred two point three nine. The euro is trading at one point three eight two U.S. dollars. This is money for nothing.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: And this is the weather today. Sunny periods expected. Fog in the morning, warm during the day. Maximum temperature today 26. Looking out the next couple of days, cool and windy, and slightly cooler temperatures down around 19 or 20. The news with Samantha Butler. A day after
4: Russia annexed Crimea, the situation in the region is tense, with hundreds of armed pro-Russian activists storming the Navy headquarters in Sevastopol. The Navy commander was led away, and Ukraine has warned the pro-Russian authorities to release him in the next few hours or face a response. The UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon says he'll travel to Kiev and Moscow shortly for talks with Russian and Ukrainian leaders and push for a peaceful resolution. The Bulgarian President, Rosen Plevneliev said he shared the fears of Baltic leaders that Russia might 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 not stop at annexing Crimea.
5: What about uh, Lithuania? What about Estonia? We do have Russian communities and minorities there.